3, verse 20 and 21. While you're standing, I want to remind you, as it has been custom in my ministry, because the holiday is so close to Wednesday, uh, we will not have corporate meeting this Wednesday, but we will have family devotion night privately. So we're asking you with your family, with your friends, your neighbors, or coworkers, uh, have family devotion time on Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday only now. Uh, I want to make that clear. Uh, we'll be back here Sunday, uh, and Lord's will the following Wednesday, but <clears throat> certainly we want you to encourage you now. Don't get so into your celebration that you forget to do family devotion uh, on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday. And then uh, when we dismiss, uh, we will be uh, having our prayer warrior walk coming soon. We'll give you the date, the date to be announced, uh, but that's when we're going to dress up in our T-shirts and our jeans and and walk the streets and pray with our community. Amen? Amen. And so what we need today from you, those who are willing to uh, or have an, uh, a purpose in their heart to purchase a T-shirt, we don't need your money today, but we have a sign-up sheet for you to sign your name and your size of your T-shirt. All right? So please do that with Sister Iris uh, before you leave today uh, because we want to go out there looking good. It's, a be- it's going to be a beautiful T-shirt. I want to go out there looking good as prayer warriors fighting Satan by one prayer at a time. Uh, so make sure you do that, okay? I'm going to be reading from the ASV, American Standard Version, two scriptures. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able. Turn to somebody and tell them the Lord is able. The Lord is able. To do exceedingly exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's enough to make you shout right there. According to the power, let me hear you say power, that worketh in us unto him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of Almighty God. I'm going to talk to you for the next few minutes from the subject, Give God the Glory. Give God the Glory. To begin my lesson, I would like to get some primary things out of the way. My assigned topic and theme this morning is Give God the Glory. Notice now the terms of our subject. The first verse, the first word here we notice is give. The word give means to freely transfer the possession of something to someone or to hand over to. Y'all with me? And then of course there's the word God. The person God. I don't need to ever try to define God to show enough Christians. I wish I had some help in here. And, and in other words, you see my feeble vocabulary, uh, Sister Iris, my feeble vocabulary, uh, it, it, it will fall to a mission that's impossible when I'm trying to describe who God really is. However, I can point you to his own resume. Y'all know what that is, don't you? The Holy Bible. 
You see, we don't have time today to read the entire bio of God, for it's volumed in 66 books. In the 13th century, Stephen Langston, an English cardinal, divided it into chapters. And in the 16th century, Robert Einstein, uh, a printer and a classical scholar of Paris, divided God's vast resume into verses. Y'all know any history? But any, uh, but any inquiring mind who wants to know who God is can peruse the first page of the first sentence and particularly the first four words uh, to understand really who God is. The great emancipator, that champion deliverer and scholar Moses wrote, in the beginning, God. Y'all remember that, don't you? That's in your Bible, isn't it? Church, all Moses is trying to tell you, and all Moses is trying to tell this dying world that God is not just the God of the beginning, but that God is the beginning. And nothing and no one can exist without God. I wish I was talking to a church of, a church of believers. We gotta come to a point in our life where we understand that nothing exists Without God. Well, I ain't got time to tell you that he is Alpha and Omega. Grandmama will tell you he's the beginning and the end. He's the giver and he is the sustainer of life. He is the commencer and he is the concluder. If you ask the astronomer, he'll tell you that he is the star. I feel some preaching uh, coming on. He is the star of David. If you ask the geologist, he'll tell you that he is a rock in a weary land. If you ask the traveler, he will tell you he's a way maker, making a way out of no way. If you ask the hopeless, he'll tell you he is a miracle worker. If you ask the baker, he'll tell you he is the bread of life. If you ask the clay, he'll tell you he is the potter. I was nothing but muck and mire, but he put his hands on me. How many of you know that when God put his hands on you, he'll make something out of nothing? Your mama told you you wasn't no good, told you were just like your daddy. But how many of you know when God put his hands on you, he'll make something out of a nothing? If you ask the banker, He'll tell you he's the master accountant. If you ask the zoologist, he'll tell you he is the lion of Judah. If you ask daddy, he'll tell you he is my strength. If you ask mama, she'll tell you that he is all that I need. But if you ask grandma, she'll simply tell you, baby, he's sweet, I know. I tell you, I can't describe him, but all you got to do is look around and every Everywhere you look, you'll see God. Notice now the word glory. The word glory comes from the word doxa. Let me hear you say doxa. And glory is uh, used in a wide application. But whether used literal or figurative, whether, whether used objectively or subjectively, it's, uh, it signifies the term dignity, honor, honor and praise and worship. But notice the predominant meaning 
of the noun boxer in scripture refers to recognition. So now with this preliminary understanding of all of that, what is it then that Paul is really trying to tell us in our text? I believe if that globe-trotting apostle could speak to us this day from his dusty tomb of antiquity, that when you know yourself, for yourself, who God is and what he has done and is doing, you don't have a problem giving God the glory. You don't have a problem. I say when you know for yourself who God is and what he has done and what he's doing. You don't have a problem giving. You don't have a problem releasing. You don't have a problem turning over to God the glory that's due him. Can I park my mule here for a moment? You see, when you know that you know, that you know you know who God is and what God is doing for you, you don't let no holy highway hijackers hold up his honor. You don't let no praise police pull over his praise. You know, I said, when you know what God has done for you, what God is doing in you, you won't let no worship witches or warlocks warp his worship. You won't let no renegade rulers rob him of his recognition. I said, when you know for yourself who God is, don't nobody have to encourage you to praise the Lord. Turn to somebody in this place and tell them, can't nobody do you. Like God. Come on, say it like you mean it. Turn to another person and tell them, can't nobody do you. Like God. Look at the historical backdrop of this text. The book of Ephesians, in my humble opinion, is one of the greatest of the apostolic love letters that was ever penned by the apostle Paul. Ephesians is one of Paul's five prison epistles. Probably written while in prison in Rome somewhere from around A.D. 60 to A.D. 64. Many great scholars have written about this letter to the church at Ephesus. I like, however, Brother Marcus, the introduction of the late theologian, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who wrote a portrait of men left Rome in the year A.D. 62, bound for the province of Asia, which was located in that which is currently designated now as Asia Minor. These men had on their persons four of the most uh, sublime compositions of the Christian faith. These precious documents would be invaluable if they were in our existence this very day. You see, Rome did not comprehend the significance of the writings of the unknown prisoner. For if she had, these men would have been apprehended and these documents would have been seized. When these men bade farewell to the Apostle Paul, each was given, I'm trying to give you a little history now, each was given an epistle to bear in his particular constituency. You see, these four letters are designed as the prison epistles of Paul. Since he wrote them while in Rome, awaiting a hearing from Nero, the Caesar of that day, to whom Paul was a Roman citizen, 
he had to appeal his case before Caesar. Well, this quartet of men and their prospective places of abode can be traced and identified. Number one, there was Aphrodite from Philippi. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 18. He had the epistle to the Philippian church. Then there was Tychicus. Uh, from the Ephesus church. Ephesians 6 and verse 21. He had the epistle to the Ephesian church. Then there was Apophis from Colossae. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 12. He had the epistle to the Colossian church. Then there was Onesimus, a slave from Colossae, uh, who had the epistle to the Philemon church. You see these epistles uh, uh, presented a composite of Christ, the church and the Christian life and, 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 and the interrelationship and functioning of all the same. But see, Paul's love letter to the Ephesian church is truly profound, CP, transcending uh, the pettiness of some of the other churches. You see, the Ephesian church was established by Paul during his missionary, his second missionary journey. I say again that this Ephesian church was truly profound in that it was the only church, to my knowledge, to receive a letter from more than one biblical writer. For it was John the Apostle who also had a message for this church in Revelations chapter 2 verse 1 through 7. You see this church had more famous and prolific preachers than any other church. Notice the holy hall of famous. Paul, Apollos, John and Timothy. Ephesians is known among scholars as the Joshua book of the New Testament. Parallel of Joshua and Ephesians by Dr. Steve uh, G. Cook. Uh, the overall arching theme of Ephesians is the church of the living God. I said the church of the living God. You see, the grand love letter, the church is likened to six things. I said it's likened to six things. Number one, the church is likened to a body. Chapter 1, verse 23. The church of the living God. The church of Christ is likened to a temple. Chapter 2, verse 21. It's likened to a new man. Chapter 4, verse 13 through 24. It's likened to a bride. Chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 25. This church is likened to a soldier. Chapter 6, verse 11. But then it's also likened to a mystery, which is in our text. Chapter 3 and verse number 4. It is from this likened that my subject comes to us today. Yes, I said Paul likens the church to a mystery. Now I know in this text is verse 20 and 21. But if we are going to truly understand, if we are going to truly leave here today with crystal clear wisdom of verses 20 and 21, then we need to, we must recognize that there was a verse 1 through verse 19. 
we must further observe that before there were the words now unto him. In verse 20, we must acknowledge that there was first for this cause our Paul. In verse number one. Y'all with me this morning? Beloved, I don't have a PhD in theology. I don't even have a master degree in ministry. I don't even have a BBS in Bible. But Gerard, I need to tell you, Jerry, I need to tell you that my 40 years of diligent midnight burning oil, iron sharpening iron, my sanctified soul tells me that there had to be something, there had to be a working, there had to be a testing, there had to be a trial, there had to be a test that brought this great apostle to a now unto him. Church, I ain't got time. So let me just run on a little further. Paul does two major things. He does two major things in our text. Number one, Paul explains this great mystery. Paul then offers a threefold prayer for the saints. Number one, I said he explains the mystery. Paul first identifies himself. As the recipient of the mystery, he recalls his mistreatment. Even though he committed no crime, yet he is in prison. He recalls his mission. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, in regard to the divine scriptures, he must preach the word to the Gentiles. In regard to the divine secret, he is to explain it to all the people. He measures out his meekness, for he looks upon himself as the least deserving Christian that there is. Then secondly, in explaining this mystery, Paul tells the time of the mystery. You see, the mystery was once concealed in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 5, the A part. But then it was, the mystery was then revealed in the New Testament, chapter 3. Verse 5, the B part. But then thirdly, Paul gives uh, the nature of the mystery. The the secret is that both the Jew and the Gentile have been joined to the body of Christ. But then lastly, as I run on towards a conclusion, Paul explains the reason for the mystery. Now, Brother Miles, why are you giving us this history? Because you need to understand What was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world was ever created. God had a plan. And thanks be to God that we were in his, I wish I had some help, that we were in his plan. Now quickly notice the second thing Paul does, and I'm going to have to hasten to a close. Watch this. Paul offers a threefold prayer. Number one, he prays in regard to the Spirit of God. He prays that the Spirit will strengthen the inner being. Chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. But then he prays not only to the Spirit of God, but he prays in regard to the Son of God. Chapter 3, verse 17. He prays that Christ would be more at home in their hearts. But then he prays in regard 
to the love of God. He prays that they might be able to grasp the full dimension of God's love. Chapter 3, verse 18 through 19. Brothers and sisters, it is here on this one way of pericope that I'm going to land this demonic plane if you don't mind. Now that we have soared over the higher planes of the context of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, we can now see clearly and understand how Paul leaves from a for this cause to a now unto him. For you see, beloved, it is only after you've gone through some stuff that you can declare now unto him. It's after being mistreated for no reason. If your own, if it's not for your own doing, that you can come to a now unto him. It's after you've been tried, tested, beat and scorned, talked about sure as you're born, that you can come to a now unto him in your life. It's after adversities of life's reign has fallen in your life. It's after stormy winds have blown in your life. It's after the billows of life have tossed you to and fro. It's after you've been arrested, jail-beaten, and imprisoned for God. But through it all, you kept God's hand and you kept your hand in God's hand but he not only kept you but the Lord God is still keeping you he is your insurance policy it is then that you can declare with a bold declaration unto him when it's God who has kept your life and you know that he's keeping you it's easy for you to say now unto him if it was God who brought you through the storm. It's easy for you to say now unto him. If it's God that brought your daughter home off the streets, it's easy now for you to say now unto him. If it was God who kept you when your employer released you, it's easy now to say now unto him. I give my, I wish I had some help. I said it's easy when you've been through the storm. But Paul just didn't say now unto him. But he said now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask. Think according to the power that worketh in us. According to the power that worketh in us. I wish I just had two people that'll look at somebody and ask them what's inside you. Come on, ask somebody else on the other side of you. What are you full of? You see, I come to tell you, the only thing that's going to keep you on the outside is what's keeping you on the inside. The only thing that show up in your action on the outside is what's already working on the inside. The only thing that can come out of your mind is what's already in your mind. Church, it is with that bold declaration that Paul, whom I call the great hymnologist of sacred spiritual atonement, he breaks out into his third 
Word and His final devout doxology concerning God's infinite liberality and matchless love. You see, this was after He told them about the tremendous power of God. I'm trying to tell you how He got to now unto Him. This was after He told them about the tenderness of God's love. It was after he told them of the extent of God's love. This was after he told them about the nature of God's love. But now Paul wants them to see the sufficiency of God's love. Isn't it good to know that God is sufficient? I don't know about you, but you ask a baker what it feels like to run out of flour when he's got a baker cake. He's insufficient. I don't know about you, but ask a baker what it feels like when somebody come to get a loan and ain't no money to get. I wish I had some help. Talk to an auto mechanic and he's trying to work on a car, but he's got insufficient tools. I wish I had some help. Talk to a heart doctor who's going into surgery but he's got insufficient instruments we serve an all sufficient God I don't care what you're going through I don't care what you need God is more than able I said God is more than able notice the phrase Paul uses to declare God's ability Paul uses this term he says exceeding abundantly. Watch this. In the sense of beyond, it means super abundant in quantity. Watch this. It means superior in quality. By implication, it means excessive beyond measure. Oh, y'all don't know when to shout in here. What is the question here? What are you trying to say, Paul? All I'm trying to tell you is to get to see, for you to get to see the object of his doxology. He says that all sufficiency is found in the grace of God. I wish I had somebody tell somebody, can't nobody do you like God. As I go to my CCP, I agree with Paul. And I also agree with Dr. John Duncan, that theologian and professor of Hebrew and Oriental language in New College, Edinburgh, that we can't ask God of anything before we think it. Did you hear me? We can't ask God of anything before we think it. And another thing, there is no such thing as asking God for too much. You see, in order to ask God for too much would mean that your thinking has to go beyond his ability. Y'all ain't saying that. And, 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 and it is no way in heaven, earth or hell, can your mortal thinking exceed the omnipotence of the great God of heaven. I heard God say just the other day in Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 for my thoughts are not your thoughts unto glad God doesn't think like us 
in the words of my good friend Terry Wallace, aren't you glad that God doesn't think like us? Uh, he says that if God, if God knew, if some of us knew how some of us are thinking, we could be arrested for our thoughts. But not only that, he said, neither are your ways my ways. Aren't you glad this morning that we don't act like that, that God doesn't act like us? Because if God acted like some of us, we wouldn't be able to trust him. If God act like some of us, we would be with, he would be wishy-washy. If God act like some of us, we'll be with you today and against you tomorrow. But I heard him say, far as the heavens are higher than the earth, then so are my ways. Higher than your ways. And my thoughts, than your thoughts. I come to tell you, you can't. I think God. Y'all gonna help me close, aren't you? I say you can't. I'll think God. Turn to somebody and tell them with some fervor that you can't out think God. Come on, say it like you mean it to him. You can't out think God. You see, when man is thinking hate, God is thinking love. When man is thinking grudge, God is thinking forgiveness. When man is thinking sadness, God is thinking gladness. When man is thinking out, God is thinking in. When man is thinking half empty, God says half full. When man is thinking no hope, God is thinking another chance. When man is thinking death, God is thinking life. When man is thinking in, God is thinking new beginning. I stopped by to tell you, you just can't out think God. His thinking is too far in front of you. His thinking is too far in back of you. His thinking is too much around you. You just can't think like God. Church, we must understand that our blessedness does not rest in our own intellect. Let me say that again. Stop killing yourself. Working all that overtime. Stop killing yourself trying to keep up with somebody else. You need to understand that our blessedness does not rest in our own intellect. But it's in the favor of Almighty God. As I finally close, beloved, I got to close, but I just can't leave you without observing not only the object of this final doxology, but the doxology itself. Look again at verse 21 of Ephesians 3. Paul says, Paul says unto him, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages with our well-being. Notice the word glory again. Doxa. Dignity, glory, honor, praise, and worship. Church, in this closing statement, it is clear that while all should glorify, honor, praise, and worship God, that all will not. It is clear the only true and acceptable worship, praise, and honor comes only from a baptized, repentant believer. In the church of Christ. By Jesus the Christ. 
And it will not change, beloved. I tell you that this pericope, a prophetic poet, reveals to us the love affair of God that shared with his church. Turn to somebody and tell them, God loves me. Come on, say it like you mean it. God loves me. You see, God had already shown himself as the greatest giver. But it is seen clearly when the glory that God reflects on the creature is by the creature ascribed as due only to God. And when he is glorified as the author of his transcendency and infinite wisdom, he then understands that even though God gives him this glory as a believer, that he really knows that it only belongs to God. Church, we must understand that when the creature give God the greatest giver glory, God turns around and sends it back multiplied. I said he turns around and sends your glory back multiplied. For you see, God gives not to an end by enriching us. That's simply the immediate blessing. But watch this, church. God gives to us that he might ultimately be glorified by our giving of glory, honor, and praise to him. That's why David, the melodious maestro of Israel, says in Psalms 23, y'all gonna help me close, aren't you? David says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. You gotta see what David is really saying when he says that the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Some of you have been hearing that all of your life, but you still haven't grasped what David is really trying to say. All David wants you to understand that the Lord is more than enough. David said, my cup runneth over. All he's trying to get you to see that when I'm thirsty, he's more than enough. When I'm weary, he's more than enough. When I need food and hungry, he's more than enough. When I need rest for my soul, he's more than enough. When I need money for my, I'm trying to get you to see it. He's more than enough. When my friends turn their backs on me, he's more than enough. When David says my cup runneth over, all he's trying to get you to see is that God is more than enough. When the doctor shake his head, you need to know that God is more than enough. When your friends lose their mind, you need to know that God is more than enough. When your heartache is broken, you need your heart is broken with heartache. You need to know that God is more than enough. When your steps get shorter, you need to know that God is more than enough. When your eyesight grow weary, you need to know that God is more than enough. When you got more must than money, you need to know that God is more than enough. When you find yourself in divorce court, you need to know that God is more than enough. When folk backbite you, scandalize your name, you need to know that God is more than enough. 
got an idiot in the White House. You need to know that God is more than enough. When you got idiots in your black house, you need to know that God is more than enough. When men were senselessly killed law enforcement officers, you need to know that God is more than enough. When children are killing children in the streets of America, you need to know that God is still, he's more, he's more than enough. You need to know that when our rights are trying to be taken, even in this century, that God is still more, more than enough. When folk can't take vacations and be safe, they leave sitting on a plane, but they come back home in a cargo bay, in a wooden box. You need to know that God is still, he's more than enough. When we face an uncertain world, in uncertain terms, in unpredictable times, I want you to leave here today by knowing that God is still more than enough. Because Paul says he is an abundant and exceedingly more. His power is greater than any power on earth. What are you going to do this morning? Are you going to trust your power? Or are you going to trust God? Because I come to tell you, he's more than enough. That's why he deserves all of our glory. That's why he deserves all of our recognition. Because can't nobody do you like God. He is the giver of life and the sustainer of life. And for that, he deserves all the glory. Will you stand on your feet? If you're here today and you need to be saved from your sins, you come by hearing the word of God, Mark 12, 29. Believing the word of God, Hebrews 11 and 6. You come to God by repenting of your sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. You must confess Christ to be the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32. Then you must be buried in one or grave of baptism for the remission of your sins, Romans 6 and 4. Then John the great revelator says in John, um, in, 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 I'm sorry, Revelations 2 in verse number 10, he says that you receive a crown of life if you remain faithful unto death. Now the question is today, what are you going to do?